Thank you for tuning in to the Sermon of the Week podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, we seek to sow the Word of God by spreading the gospel message. Each episode is a lesson that was presented from one of your hosts within this network. We hope that this will benefit your study and your walk with Christ. Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Glad we can come together and worship God with one another again on this first day of the week. I hope you have your Bibles this morning. You'll be opening with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Have we lost our identity? Now, we'll see a little bit further what we mean by that as we get further into this chapter. And as we go through this chapter, I think we'll see uh, what the text is showing us about this question. As we dive into Daniel chapter 1, and we think about this question, have we lost our identity? First, we're going to go through this chapter. It's not a very long chapter. And we're going to make sure we understand what's happening in this chapter, in the text itself. And then after we understand, okay, we know what's going on here, then we're going to look at the application specifically of this question to us today. So first of all, our text in Daniel chapter 1, in the first two verses, we have the stage being set for us. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Something that's important to notice from these first two verses is much of the world in this day obviously worshipped idol gods. And what they thought was when one nation went to war with another, whichever nation prevailed, whichever nation won, well, obviously that nation's gods were more powerful than the other nations. That nation's gods overcame uh, the other nation's gods. So what the world saw in this, what the world would have thought in this, is that the world believed that the Babylonians' gods, idol gods, prevailed against the God of Judah. That is what the world would have thought. However, in the text, it gives us as the readers a not-so-subtle hint that the world was wrong. Hopefully you called in verse 2, it says, The Lord gave, meaning that Nebuchadnezzar did not come and take this by force, the, the gods of Babylon did not overcome the God of Israel. But rather the Lord gave, the Lord handed over this to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar did not overtake, did not conquer Judah because he was more powerful. He didn't conquer Judah because his gods were greater. He conquered Judah because the Lord gave them to him. So the stage is set, much of the world believes that Babylon, uh, the gods of the Babylonians had overcome the God of Israel, the true God, the one God of heaven. But really we see right at the very beginning what the world thought is actually not what really had happened. 
As we continue on, we see some drastic changes for some young captives. Drastic changes for the young captives. Notice Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 through verse 7. So the king of Babylon, verse 2, had told us he carried some of the articles of the house of God, and he carried them away, and he put them in the house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's meats or the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. These young men... And it wasn't just Daniel and these other three. There were others. These young men, and in studying this and in reading and looking into this, a lot of people think that they were perhaps as young as maybe 15 or 16 years old. They were, they were taken captive, and they had their lives completely turned upside down. We tend, if we're not careful in reading this, to, and we'll notice this in detail here in a moment, but if we're not careful, we gloss over just how much their lives changed. In these four verses that we read, there is a massive amount of change for these young men in those four or five verses. There would have been a strong temptation for all these that have been carried away from Judah. There would have been a very strong temptation to believe that maybe God had deserted them. Or that maybe even God had been powerless to deliver them. Certainly the Babylonians would have tried to convince them of this. The Babylonians were the conquering nation. The Babylonians believed that their gods had overcome the God of Israel. And they would have most certainly tried to convince these young men of that. The temptation then to give in to that way of thinking... And to believe that maybe God deserted them or maybe God wasn't powerful enough in the first place to deliver them, the temptation to think that and to give in to that way of thinking would have been very strong indeed. Drastic changes in the lives of these young men. However, what we notice as we go on into the chapter is that at least four of them were faithful despite these drastic changes in their life beginning with verse 8 the text says but Daniel purposed in his heart or he made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself there's different ideas as to what exactly was it about this that would have defiled Daniel. And in studying for this, I don't know that I was able to come to any conclusive answer. Some suggested that perhaps 
what these, at least some of this would have been offered to these idols. And he didn't want to eat something that had been offered to an idol. And that's a possibility. Um, also, though, the, the thing is, is he requests to eat vegetables, and sometimes vegetables would have been offered to these idol gods as well. Whatever the case was with this, something about it, Daniel knew there was something about at least part of what they were being offered. There was something about it that he, uh, in order to remain faithful to God, could not partake of it. There, there was something about this, this, this meat, these delicacies, and this drink. Something about it would require him to do something that would defile him in the sight of God, and he refused to do it. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. The chief of the eunuchs, knowing full well the kind of man that Nebuchadnezzar was, he knew if y'all start looking... Uh, worse, if your physical appearance changes and not for the better, and the king finds out it's because I changed what you were supposed to be eating, he says, my life will be in danger. And so what Daniel says, he says to the steward, who the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he says, please test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables." What Daniel does here, and it's interesting in studying for this. I don't know why this is. I suppose we know Daniel by, his, by the name his mom and dad gave him, his Hebrew name, because that's the name on the book. But for whatever reason, we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not by their names, that their Hebrew names, not by their names that their mama and daddy gave them, but we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by the names that Babylon gave them. I don't know why that is, but for whatever reason, that's how we think of them. But what Daniel says is, okay, then fine. Give us 10 days. Feed us this diet for 10 days. Remember, this is a three-year process. So what are 10 days in a three-year process? He said, and in 10 days, examine everyone else, examine us, and then you deal with us as you see fit. What this was on Daniel's part, and and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this was trusting God. They were going to do what they knew was right. And they were going to trust God to take care of what they could not control. What they could control was, give this a try and let's see what happens. And at the end, God, as we see, has not been defeated, but God is still working behind the scenes. And so what we see is they remain faithful despite these drastic changes in their life. 
and what the end of the book shows to us is that God is not defeated. It says, As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, None was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued into the first year of King Cyrus. God blessed the four young men and providentially placed them into the service of the king of Babylon. The king realized that they were far better than his current wise men and his current advisors. Out of, out of who knows how many young men that were in this training program, it wasn't just these four. Out of all the young men that were in this training program, these four were the ones who stood out above everybody else. This is another, at the beginning of the chapter, we read that the Lord gave. We see then that God has not been defeated, but yet God is in control. The end of the chapter also shows that God has not deserted them. God has not forgotten about them. But God remembers them and is watching over them. God has not been defeated, as much of the world in this day would have thought. So... In going through this text, we see four young men who face some terrible changes in their life, but who remain faithful to God regardless. So in thinking about this, in thinking about the question we asked at the beginning of our lesson, have we lost our identity? Something to think about here is that what these young men faced was a potential identity crisis. I want us to really stop and think what these young men had taken from them, what they had stripped from them. They had their home stripped from them. Nebuchadnezzar comes to Jerusalem, and what he does is he carries off some of the articles, some of the king's treasures, some of the treasures out of the house of God. He also takes... Apparently, the young men in the nation of his choosing, uh, some of the brightest minds, some of the, the king's descendants, some of the nobles' descendants, he took the young men that he chose and he took them back to Babylon with him. They're uprooted. As we said, young men, perhaps as young as 15 or 16 years old, uprooted from their home and taken to a faraway nation. They had their family stripped away from them. Remember, you know, they had you know, parents. They had siblings. They had grandparents. They had uncles. Uh, they had uh, aunts and nieces. You know, they, they had family in these towns. And all that was taken away from them. They were taken to a faraway place by themselves. But also, without going into much detail, it, it appears from the text that they were made eunuchs, which means they were also unable to have future families. 
any hopes, any thoughts of marriage, of, of children, of grandchildren was no longer an option for these young men. So not only did they have their current families taken from them, but any hopes of, you know, maybe we could, you know, console ourselves with, well, I can have another family one day. They didn't even have that. That was not an option for them either. They had their freedom taken from them. They were taken forcefully and carried off to this nation, and they were taken for the purpose, the text says, of serving in the king's palace. They were to be, while Daniel rises to a position of great importance, of great importance at the end of the day, Daniel is the servant of the king of Babylon. Even though he might be the, the top-ranked servant, he is still a servant in the king's palace. These young men have their language taken away from them. Uh, at the end of verse 4, it says they would teach them the language of the Chaldeans. In this foreign nation, no longer would they be speaking the same language that they spoke every day of their lives up to this point. Now, certainly they would still have that language in their memory, but every day, now you're in a different country, what language are you going to be speaking? You are going to be forced to use and to know the language of where you are. In dealing with people in the king's court, all these folks, you are going to have to speak the language of the Chaldeans, of the Babylonians. Their education. They had grown up in a Jewish family, in a Hebrew family, and they had been taught about the one true God. And that was the way that they looked at the world. They knew who God was. They knew he had created all things, and they knew they were God's people. And now they're carried off to another place, and they are trained in the literature of the Chaldeans, who had a very different worldview, who believed there were many gods, and there were many idols. The way they looked at the world was entirely different from the way that the Jews would have looked at the world. They are given an entirely new education, an entirely new way of looking at the world. Even their names were taken away from them. And the change to their names, we often, I mean, even for us today, I think it would be difficult enough for us if our names were changed. In the Bible time, their names really meant something. For example, Daniel's name means God is my judge. Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Bel, B-E-L, an idol god of Babylon. Bel, protect his life. Daniel's name was changed from a name that honored the God of heaven to a name that honored one of the idol gods of Babylon. Everything about their lives, everything was changed. Everything was stripped from them. And we think about perhaps putting ourselves in that same, that same boat, that same situation. And I think it's difficult to actually wrap our minds around what this would be like. To be carried off to a foreign nation, never to return, to serve in that nation for the remainder of our lives to have everything about our, our former way of life taken away from us, our home, our family, and any prospects of future family, 
uh, our freedom, language, education, name, everything about us taken away and changed and uprooted and placed in a different place entirely. However, what we find when we read this first chapter of Daniel, while I think we would expect to find these young men struggling and having some kind of identity crisis in their life, we don't find any evidence of that. Why, after losing all of that, why do these young men seemingly not have an identity crisis, pretty much losing, it seems, everything that they had? Because their identity was not placed in any of the things that we just noticed. Their identity, their purpose, their meaning was in God. They made up their minds, verse 8 tells us, not to defile themselves. And in this circumstance, in order to be able to make that decision, having lost all of that stuff, including having their very name changed, in order to make a decision like that, to not defile themselves, their identity could not be placed in what they had lost. Our decisions in life are driven by what we consider valuable and important. The decisions that we make every day in our life, we make decisions based off of what we deem valuable, what we deem important in our lives. When someone loses everything that they hold valuable or someone loses everything that they consider important, there is a temptation to go in one of two directions. And many people, not just in this country, but in this world, go down this road. Some people go down the road of life is no longer worth living when they lose whatever it may be that they held valuable. Or some people go down the road of, let me try everything I can to replace what I've lost. This is why many people go down roads of addiction and other things down that road. They have lost something that they held valuable and they are seeking something, anything, to replace that. When people lose the things we listed earlier, name, education, whatever that is, and that is where they found meaning and that is where they found purpose, that is where their identity was and they lose that, then all of a sudden, what is life worth living anymore? But we don't see them having this because while, yes, they cared about their home, while, yes, they loved their families, while, yes, they cared, I'm sure, deeply about their name. That's not where their identity was truly found. That's not where for them meaning in this life was found. Before we really turn our attention to us, do you remember what Solomon said at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes? Remember, he had gone through a life of trying everything to find meaning, trying everything to find happiness. And how, what does he conclude at the end of that search? He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. 
For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Solomon, going down this road, said, where is man's purpose? Where is our purpose? Where is it that we truly find meaning in this life? Where is our identity found? It is found in serving God and obeying Him. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that. And so even after losing all that, they remain faithful to God. What about us? With our identity found in God, as Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4 says, says Christ, who is our life. With our identity found in God, our home cannot be stripped from us. And I'm not talking about our physical home. While I hope that's never stripped from us, as we see in the case of Daniel, it absolutely can be. This is speaking of, as the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, a heavenly country, a heavenly home, a city that God has prepared. For someone whose identity is in God, whose meaning and purpose in life is in God, our home can never be stripped from us while we can give it up if we give up on God and we quit remaining faithful to God, if we remain faithful to Him, this heavenly home can never be stripped from us, though maybe we lose everything with our home here. Our family cannot be stripped from us. And while we love our family here and we do many things, make many sacrifices for them, while that is commanded by God for us to love our families... There is a family in Christ, our spiritual family, that cannot be stripped from us. Mark 10, verse 29 through 30. In Christ, we have countless families scattered over this whole world. I don't know that you've ever thought about that. But even if you were to travel to the other side of the world, there is a pretty good chance that you have some family on the other side of the world. Even in a faraway place, if we were to be uprooted from our physical family, even there, we're not separated from our family. Our freedom cannot be stripped from us in Christ. That's not talking about freedom here on this earth, because as we saw with Daniel, freedom can absolutely be taken away here on this earth. But the freedom we're talking about is the freedom from sin and the freedom to serve God, that cannot be taken away from us if we remain faithful to God. Our language, Acts 4, verse 19 through 20, cannot be stripped from us. In Acts 4, 19 through 20, they told Peter and John to not speak in the name of Jesus anymore, and they said, you know, basically, if it's right or not to listen to you instead of God, you're going to have to judge, but we can't speak the things which... We can only speak that which we have seen and heard. As a Christian, the gospel of Jesus Christ is our message to the world. The world cannot take this message from us. Even if we were forced to speak another language, the gospel can still be proclaimed. We can go and we could learn another language in another country and be there the rest of our lives and still proclaim the same gospel message there as we can here. Even if we were put in prison, Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, 8-9, the gospel is not chained. 
Even if we were to be killed, the gospel will not die with us. Our language, our words, that message cannot be taken from us. Our education cannot be stripped from us. Psalm 119 verse 11, the psalmist said, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It is very unlikely that Daniel had a copy of God's word with him. How did he know that eating what the king was offering would defile him? He had hidden God's word in his mind. He had carefully studied the scriptures and understood how to apply them in his own life. What if we were placed in a similar situation as Daniel for three years? What, what we have placed in our minds cannot be taken from us. But that's pointless if we haven't placed God's word in our mind. Daniel knew what was right and Daniel knew what was wrong because he had put God's word in his mind. If we have not put God's word in our mind, then how will we know what is right and wrong if we were placed in a similar situation as Daniel? And then our name. Acts 11 verse 26, they were called Christians. Our name cannot be stripped from us. God has given us the name Christian, and no one can take that name from us. Even if the name that you currently have, Jameson and whatever your name may be, even if that were to be changed, you and I were still Christians, and nobody can take that from us. We can give that up. We can forfeit that, but no one can forcefully by force say you are no longer a Christian because they don't make that determination. The world could change our names tomorrow, yet we would still be Christians and we would still be God's children. With this mindset, a mindset of our identity is found in God, that is the mindset. That is the mindset that Daniel had not to defile himself during terrible circumstances in his life. So this morning, where is our identity found? Where is it that we find meaning in life? Where is it that we have purpose? Where is our identity found? When difficult times come, this question right here, the answer that you give to this question is what will determine the decisions that we make in good times and bad times. This is what determines what we do. Certainly we hope that we never have to face anything like Daniel and like the others face. But we also at the same time, we should not be so naive as to think that it will never happen to us. Judah thought you know, Babylon carrying them into captivity and Jerusalem being destroyed was foolishness. God will never hand over Jerusalem. And yet he did just that. Every nation in history has thought the same thing about their nation. Thinking, yeah, it's happened to other nations. It will never happen to us. And yet every nation at some point always fills up the cup of God's wrath. And justice is always poured out on that nation. If our identity is found in God, then no matter what circumstances we face, no matter if the next hundred years in this country are the best hundred years we've ever seen, or no matter if the next hundred years are the worst hundred years we've ever seen. If our identity is found in God, then the circumstances 
will not matter because our meaning, our purpose, our identity is not found in things of this world, temporary things of this world, but our identity is found in God. This morning, as you think about this question, as you thought about your life as a Christian, where is it that you find meaning? Family is a wonderful thing, and we love our family as God commands us to. But even family is not where you're going to find meaning. Because sadly, as painful as it is in this world, family is, because family are human, uh, life is temporary on this world. If, our, if we are searching for meaning in any other place than in God, we will be sorely disappointed. And we will never find what we are looking for. And when difficult times come, we will not be found among Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But we'll be among the countless scores of others who are never mentioned in the book of Daniel. Because for whatever reason, their identity was not truly placed and found in God. If you are a Christian this morning, you have thought about this, and you realize that you have been searching in all the wrong places, I encourage you this morning to turn your attention back to God and to, and to find meaning in Him and to find your identity in Him, not in things of this world. If you're not a Christian, then we encourage you to obey the gospel, become a child of God. Because the things of this world are temporary. But what God offers, if we remain faithful to him, will last forever. God says that we must believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of our sins, confess the name of Christ, and be immersed into Christ to have our sins forgiven. This morning, you can do that very thing. You need to respond, won't you come, while we stand and while we sing. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. That's thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms, and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ, even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.